Hello and welcome to Cozy Cryptid. I'm your host Tanner. Uh, I'm solo this week. As I uh, quick stuff. Um, this week we're in Guanajuato. The state of Guanajuato is one of natural beauty, baroque architecture. And strange creatures and legends. From famous and decidedly creepy mummy museum to mysterious seven craters with sightings of UFOs and aliens. To the cryptid known as Alvizalto lurking in the area lakes. Guanajuato is one fascinating place. Cool. So we got aliens, cryptid, some mummies. Into it, stuff. Okay, sorry. Sorry, I just woke up and stuff. But, uh, we're getting to this. How you guys doing? So, are you liking the episode so far? Are you enjoying it? Let me know. Leave a review and rating on your favorite podcasting app or whatever. Like on iTunes or, uh, Podchaser. Or we can leave a review at no, because like five, I can't re- really leave a, a review. I don't know why not. I just can't leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends about it. But, okay, the mysterious craters of Valle de Santiago, the central part of the state of Guanajuato, near the township of Valle de Santiago, the wonderland for alternative researchers, is. Home to what the locals call the Siete Luminaries, or in English, the Seven Luminaries, which are seven old volcanic craters. There, in and around these luminaries, paints everything a per- curious person could ask for UFOs, strange creatures, ghosts, bizarre biology, mysterious cures, interdimensional vortexes, legends of giants. Traces of lost civilizations. Many of the craters either had water up until recent times or currently have water inside them. They all draw tourists, recreation seekers, and those interested in the paranormal. Although part of an old volcanic field of many craters spread across a wide area, these seven craters are the largest and most distinct. Their names are El Albarca. La Hoya de Sudoto, La Hoya de Alvarez, La Hoya de San Nicolas de Pelogono, La Hoya Blanca, La Hoya de Solas, and El Lucon de Pelogono. All craters are under the protection and administration of the municipality of Valle de San Diego, which are Seven explosive population growth. Testing explosive population growth in recent years, this has impacted the volcanoes tremendously. Craters still, however, have managed to train most of their mystery despite the recent changes. The Spanish first start settling the area in the early 1600s, formally establishing the town of Valle San Diego in the May of 1607. The local Tark Taruscans or Quebecca people called the area the small volcanic cones 
Kim uh, Kitmem Baro, which roughly translates to Place of Wormwood. And pre Hispanic times, there are seven Canucks who are said to have once been young women who were all of the after affection of a handsome prince. Although the women were beautiful, their competition for the princess' attention caused the young royal great upset. The prince wanted to be left alone and asked a powerful sorcerer to deal with the situation. Oh, that's funny. So he's like, it's just crazy. Bro, you don't want the D. Get them off me, man. A uh, sorcerer uses dark magic to transform the woman to these seven craters. The layout of the craters currently form the shape of a constellation, Ursa Major, or the Big Dipper. Some people believe that when Ursa Major is lowest, between the 18th of April and the 18th of May, the craters absorb most, most energy from the heavens, thus become recharged. Those who tend to believe that the craters experience a recharging every spring also believe that the Valley de Santo is the magnetic center of the earth. The heightened magnetism in the area is responsible for the many strange things existing in the region. One of the most curious of the craters is called La Alberca. This translates from Spanish to English as the swimming pool. For many years, this crater attracted recreational bathers who approached swimming in the crater's lake with caution. Early on, people believed the lake to be bottomless. The idea of a bottomless lake came up with other related stories. What strange creatures could lurk in those unknown depths? Locals claimed that an aquatic reptile, much like Scotland's Loch Ness Monster, lived in the lake. And sometime in the early 1970s, a blurry photograph of a dinosaur looking creature made its round through the press. People gave the creature a name. Shack. Shock. It's like C-H-A-C. Shock. Okay. Some people believe that the photo and occupying stories were conducted, conducted just to bring tourists to the area. The light monster apparently was not confined to the small area inside the crater. La Alberca supposedly has subterranean connections to both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, so the monster could make its way out to the open sea if it wished. Some of some have also have claimed the waters of La Alberca are home to the Talacana, a half female, half serpent like creature approximates a mermaid and dates back hundreds if not thousands of years. Cool. Talacana. Look that up real quick. In the early 2000s, the lake's water level dropped dramatically due to human depletion of the local aquifer. As the population of Valley they say they go exploded and water demands increased at an astronomical pace. The water in the bottom of the lake disappeared. Now the center of the crater has reverted to a desert environment full of scrubby trees and cactus. A heavy rain comes, occasionally pools form, but never lasts. It's quite ironic that the crater named the swimming pool is now devoid of water. 
lack of water laid bare the bottom of the lake, thus destroying notion of Lake Alberca have a connection to the ocean. There's no escape route for a swimming dinosaur named Jacques, and no more space for a legendary mermaid creatures to frolic in. Most of the legends surrounding this specific crater just simply evaporated. A land-based legend still continues around La Alberca and some of the adjacent craters. Many hikers have reported seeing an indigenous woman or an apparition of an indigenous woman wearing traditional clothing and carrying a load on her back. This woman appears confused and distressed as if a loss and comes up with people to up to people eager to chat, but no one can understand her language. When people run away in fright, the woman's tends to cry or yell desperately after them. Some get the impression that the ghostly native woman just wants other human company or has somehow found herself trapped in modern times after passing through some sort of vortex. Sucks. Sucks for her, dude. God, that'd be horrible. Imagine, like, living in your, like, 3,000. All your friends and family are gone. You understand, like, the language. Like, the language has trained so much. You can understand what you're saying. Horrible. At the Valley of the San Diego, it's supposedly a high energy area. Some eyewitnesses have reported seeing portals or vortexes opening up right before their eyes. One legend has it that <coughs> the indigenous woman was a slave working for the Spanish in the colonial times who committed suicide by drowning herself for the Spanish in uh, by drowning herself in the waters of La Alberca. As with many myths and legends, this one seems to have several different versions. The Municipality of Ballet de San Diego contains a small museum tourist office donated to craters near the center of town. There, one can hire a guide who is more, more than willing to share with tourists local history and lore while exploring the volcanoes. Inside the museum, a sign proclaims that the era has been named Avaniladia. That this translates into as UFO land. Indeed, the region boasts many signs of unified flying objects. In the late 1990s, Mexican city-based TV Azteca sent a film crew to Valle de Sango to cover the UFO topic and delve into some of the stranger mysteries of this part of the state of Guanajuato. While filming the TV Azteca Guru caught a flying saucer-shaped UFO skirting across the far side of the ball towers of the town's church. Millions of Mexicans later saw this footage on the TV Azteca network, and after the program aired, the town attracted UFO researchers from around the world. For decades, many locals have claimed to see UFOs flying into volcanoes and disappearing into lakes. This leads... Uh... This leads to a whole host of other stories and speculations. There are UFO bases inside the Earth. The idea that there are UFO bases inside the Earth is a popular story. This ties into a, a, another legend that a race of giants lived in a system of gigantic caverns and tunnels in and around the craters. This race is either trolling or being assisted by the UFOs. The largest cave system originally exists under Rigon de Pan 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 which is considered to be the most 
and generically active of all the craters. What? Just crazy. There are several Middle Earth or Hollow Earth stories from various parts of Mexico. Many of these stories date back to a time well before Spanish arrived and are connected to the volcanoes. Some local residents and visitors have claimed actual extraterrestrial contact in the area around the volcanoes. The most popular being cited in a con- connection with the UFO phenomenon are Nordics and the Greys. Nordics are tall, blonde humanoids who are friendly and helpful in UFO lore. The Greys are the short, big-headed, and big-eyed creatures with spindly limbs carry out nefarious experiments on unsuspecting abductees. Yeah, the Greys are fucking rapey as fuck. Okay. Long-time Valley de San Diego resident Oscar Arando Ramirez claims to have had several contacts with extraterrestrials who have imparted him to, to him many secrets of this of which could save humanity. Senor Arando states that his first extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial visitation took place around 1970. It was then the aliens shared with him a, uh, a way to end world hunger. For instance, or not, during the 1970s, farmers and heirs close to the volcanoes began raising gigantic fruits and vegetables, onions the size of basketballs, beets the size of shoeboxes, heads of lettuce one meter tall. A six foot long leaf of Swiss chard could feed a whole family for a week. When photos of these enormous fruits and vegetables reached the outside world, many dismissed pictures as having been altered using simple camera tricks or have or after-fact cut-and-paste techniques. Eventually, the p- huge produce contention of Este Sagra Par, the Secretary of Agriculture and Rural Development, a bloated federal government agency based in Mexico City. Investigators and inspectors from the agency wanted to visit this valley of San Diego to talk to the farmers. The farmers balked and said they were going to speak to government officials. Yeah. Uh, and their growing secrets unless some demands were met. Farmers wanted a new school and they also wanted a national government to take over management of the craters to turn them into national preserves to attract more tourism to the area. When the farmers made these demands, the agricultural ministry immediately dismissed the whole thing as a hoax. They did not assign anyone to investigate. The gigantic fruits and vegetables continued to garner attention. One university group concluded that the reason why some of these plants grew so much larger than normal I deal with the density complexity of the minerals in the air soil. Oscar Ramirez and the farmers refused to give up their secrets, and the land around the volcano continued to produce about 15 times the average yield per acre over any other place in Mexico. In an interview from the year 2013, Arendo did not tell a reporter that the farmer had a secret method of harnessing the area's energies as sold to them by the extraterrestrials. But declined to give further details as to exactly how. Since pre-Hispanic times, many people have visited the waters of Vicente Luminaris for their creative or magical properties. The Hoya de Centoro and the Hoya de Alvarez both have areas set aside for both bathers and those who seek release from various elements. These two creators also have, have caves above the waterline that have inside them burrows and glyphs that date back hundreds, if not thousands of years. Locals attribute the drawings to the Maya, the Akaraz Discree. Mayan heartland is hundreds of miles to the east 
there was little or no contact between the two regions in ancient times. Although not considered Maya, researchers are allowed to exclude any other culture as responsible for the cave art. Cave have the waters have not only been used in cures, but also have been used in divination. For centuries, people have noticed the waters within certain craters turn different colors. Some colors forewarn or disasters or others bad things to come. All the waters and lakes turned red in the days before the 18, 1985 Michigan City earthquake, for example. Whoa. There are a few specialists in the area who can interpret changes in color. In the often overlooked corner of Mexican city of Guanajuato, several dead volcanoes invoked wonder among tourists and locals alike. The area around the Siente Luminaris remains one of the most mysterious regions in all of Mexico. That's crazy, dude, ain't it? Oh my god. You got UFOs. You got talks about mermaids and lake monsters. Like underground tunnel systems. Healing properties and grow best vegetables. You think about all that. Tell me what you think. Uh, I'm gonna I'll be right back. Have a little word from a sponsor or more brands we listen to we work with. I'll be right back after these messages. Hello, everybody. I just wanted to tell you about Snazzer. Started by five college kids in January 2021. They tended to start a small e-commerce store to finance their noble cause to help out a few nonprofit organizations called One Tree Planet, Go For You, Helps Fights Deforestation, Tries to Save Nature, and its Wildlife. Applying one tree for each product sold all over the world with the help of different organizations. With international shipping, 24-7 support, I promise that every product sold equals One Tree Planet, Snazzer is giving Cozy Cryptid listeners a deal by going to the link in the description and using the code COZYCAPS at checkout. You'll save 35% off today at snazzerx.com. One more time, if you're not paying attention, save 35% off with code word COZYCAPS at S-N-A-Z-Z-E-R-X.com. Snazzer, aspire to inspire. and we're back guys hope it take time to check out snazzer and have a bunch of cool hats and stuff and they're really trying to help out the environment and help checking them out really helps the, the podcast enjoy podcasts your cool hat helps support the podcast and helps support the environment but back on to the one what one Tales of Mexican Lake Monsters. Ooh, Mexican Lake Monsters. Yeah. Mexico has its own version of Bigfoot called the Sisamite. Some people claim that Mexico had its own type of Roswell incident when a flying saucer crashed outside the northern Mexican town of Kwame. Which we talked about in the episode. 
there's this an area in Mexico, Chihuahua, desert full of strange magnetic anomalies, disappearances, and unexplained objects, which people compare to the Bermuda Triangle. It's only logical to ask the question, does Mexico have the equivalent of the Loch Ness Monster? The answer is a complicated yes, or perhaps just a maybe. When the Spanish arrived in the New World, they were met with unfamiliar peoples, new landscapes, and strange plants and creatures. The lakes surrounding the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan that was said to lurk a strange creature, one that would attack people and capsize fishing boats. Creatures' territory was restricted to the lakes and rivers around the main city of the Aztecs. Later, the Mexico city of the Spanish, but it was sometimes seen in other parts of Mexico, always close to the center of the old Aztec heartland. In the Nahuatl language of the Aztecs, this lake and river monster was called the Awazatul, which, which has had different interpretations over the years. Some linguists have thought the name to mean simply water dog. Some sources claim Awazatul means the thorny one who lives in the water. Ooh, I like that one. It's a cool interpretation. To the Aztecs and other pre-Hispanic Mesoamerican peoples, the creature was as real as a deer or a turkey. It was not a fantastic animal of myths and legend, but a tangible part of nature. Early Spanish settlers had either claimed to have seen the creature or reported it on stories of existence. The great conquistador Hernandez Cortez even wrote to the king of Spain about the Azotul. From a translated passage, Cortez gives a pretty detailed description of this strange creature. It is a beast no bigger than a normal dog, but a very special characteristic. In this tale, the duration was not normal, the end in a tip, and a claw, which it killed its prey. One day, while preparing a small boat, the sailors heard a cry of a child. Strangers rushed to help the child because their cries came from the lake because they thought the child was drowning. But to surprise, but to their surprise, they never saw the child. They stepped closer to the shore, they distinguished where the weeping came from to see if they could help the crying child when out of nowhere a call grabbed Taylor by pulling him from the boat and dragged him to the bottom of the lake. Frightened, his companion hurried to warn that creature in the lake and killed his friend. They were out to look for the sailor's body without success. When returning, Nave explained to them that it had been the Azatul. It is a myster- mystical and sacred animal. The settlers said that not even an animal could take a man in such a way that it was, it was the work of the devil. The, but the disappearance were more and more constant, and the man did not dare to go out alone unless if they heard a cry that sounded like a child. Some cryptozoologists or those who seek to examine and describe previously unknown animals hesitate to believe that as a tool was real because of it strange tail. Tail is what the animal uses to catch its prey and take to it its underwear lair. Perhaps what people were describing was more of a prehensile tail like that of a possum or a monkey. A sort of third arm to hold onto or to grab things with. The other tool supposedly moved rapidly. So it was a real creature, perhaps human-like hand and a tail of elaboration or misidentification.
legs, its legs were described as more ape-like than dog-like. And sometimes the azotol would stand on its hind legs as in the Cortez letter to King of Spain. The creature was said to cry like a baby to, to learn humans to edges of water or out into water in a boat. Sorry, on here. Sorry. Okay. In some reports, it also had the capability to laugh like a human. <laughs> People on dry land were not completely safe. As as I was tell, known to whip out the water, curl around the legs, and run expecting human. Unlike the mysterious lake creature called Nessie, Scotland's a lot in this. Dazzletol did not appear to be reptilian or fish-like, but more characteristics of a medium-sized aquatic mammal. Encounters with the Ahuzatol were never benign. Creatures always describe as vicious and prone to violence. According to Aztec beliefs, the unfortunate victims of the Ahuzatol were rewarded in the afterlife. Got to spend their eternity in Lalocon, a paradise ruled over by the rain god, Lalok. His wife, Chalchulikwe, and their attendants. In fact, attacked by the Azatol was such a rare thing, so connected to the spiritual world of the Aztecs, only priests of Laluk could touch the victim's body after death. No one but the priest could even fish the body out of the water. Because of the rarity of attack, some Aztecs believed that the victims were chosen for having special characteristics while alive or for living a noble or virtuous life. We are still left wondering whether or not the Azotol was a real animal, previously unknown or an animal well-known but mistaken for something else. The growth of Mexico City under Spanish colonial rule, the city expanded beyond the original Aztec capital on an island in the middle of Lake Texaco. Texcoco. The city was subjected to constant flooding in its early years. In the 1620s, much of the city had standing water in it for years. Across Spanish stories, consider either abandoning the capital, move to higher ground, or to drain Lake Tasco, Texcoco, divert future floodwaters elsewhere. They opted for the latter. As a result of the disappearance of the lake, some people believed that always whatever it was, simply lost its habitat and became extinct. Some modern-day researchers are searching for more practical explanations for the creature. Was it a holdover from the megafauna days of the last ice age? Was it a mutation of an unknown animal? Or was the whole legend of the Azotol just an embellishment of an existing animal still found in central Mexico? Uh, if any theories on that, let me know. Uh, Dr. Matthew McDavid, an American anthologist, has written on the Azatol and has come to some conclusions on to what the creature could have been. He notes some various among the early Spanish eyewitnesses' accounts of the creature were in stories of Aztec lore in his article, Water Dog Detective. McDavid makes a list of characteristics found in most of the Azatol accounts. One being it's the size of a small dog. Two, has with small rounded ears. Three is colored black and brown or gray. Four that lives in rivers or of the hotlands in southern Mexico. And with five has a pre-intensive tail. But Deva has narrowed down 
Dolphins, two animals currently found in a warm tropical area of Mexico, the southern river otter, and the water possum. Is it inclined to believe that the creature is probably an exaggerated form of the water possum because of the prehensile tail, and he's not the first to propose this? Manus specialist J. Eric Thompson speculates that the water possum was the stand-in for the Azatol decades ago. There are many things that remain unexplained if we are to accept this possum theory. Water possums are not particularly aggressive and are not known to drown humans. Of course, there is there's the problem that I already mentioned regarding the tail human hand at the end. This creature was something different altogether. We are left with the same unanswered question that exists with other legendary creatures, such as Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster. Where is this physical evidence? Why don't examples of the bone or fur exist or even a carcass? Perhaps part myth, part cross-trained tail, and part real, that as remains an interesting aspect of the world of the ancient Aztecs. Ooh. Yeah, look, that's creep. That's cool, dude. Like a water. Oh god, any pictures of this thing? Yeah, dude. It's like a water dog. It takes you by the hand, dude. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, things look awesome. It's like a dog. It's like a hanging on it. That seems cool as fuck. Alrighty. So, uh, it's like a mammal, aquatic mammal. Very strange. It's a water possum. Oh, it's like a little rat. Oh man, it's looking so cute. Water possum. I don't see how it can like drag. It's like too small. It's like drag people in. Water possum. Oh, it's probably like two feet, three feet the biggest. Small, I don't think it's water possum, but okay, I'll be. Never hear from another brand. Tell you a little bit about another brand that uh, I'm part of and. Be right back with that, and after that, we're talking about some mummies. So, we'll look forward to that. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm here to tell you about Brute Impact. Brute Impact is a fashion brand bringing these cool like clothes like hats and jackets and t-shirts stuff for guys stuff for girls they sell all over the world and they have a bunch of cool shoes and everything you can get some cool threads some cool kicks at bruteimpact.com save uh, some money 25% off your order with code word 25 underscore tanner at bruteimpact.com there you save 25% off your order with 25 underscore tanner at bruteimpact.com. Alrighty, everybody. We are back. The mummies of one Nahuatl. In fact, in fiction. Yes, Mexico has its mummies. But unlike mummies from Egypt, other parts of the world, these mummies are accidental and are of common people. They date back from the post-conquest era, 
especially the 19th and early 20th centuries. So, how did Mexico come to have mummies? What's their story and how have they captured the imagination of a country and its popular culture? The mummies come from the city of Guanajuato and its surrounding Guanajuato and its surroundings. Guanajuato was declared a UNESCO World Heritage Site by the United Nations in 1988. The city is truly enchanting and deserves this designation. One can get lost marveling at its colonial architecture and wandering its numerous narrow side streets and alleys called Calihondas, which means alleys in English. The Aztecs mined precious metals here, mostly for ornamental purposes and to feed the market for elite items and crafted out of metal. When the Spanish arrived in the early 1500s, they heard of the Aztec mines and discovered gold for themselves in the 1540s. Soon a garrison was sent to protect the mines, a town was set up and the city became formalized as Santa Fe Real de Menas de Guanto in 1548. Mining lessened in importance throughout most of the 1800s but became important again in the, eight, in the 1870s when Porfirio Diaz, the ruler of Mexico, encouraged foreign investment to develop more mines. It was during this time when the government instituted a perpetual burial tax. The survivors of the buried person could pay, not pay the tax. The body of the, rel- of the relative would be exhumed. It was during this time when the mummies were discovered, much to the surprise of the people responsible for enforcing the penalties of not paying the tax. The mineral rich soils and the dryness of the climate are two conditions generally thought to have aided in the preservation of the bodies. But according to experts, the soils had very little to do with his famine. If anything, 100% of the flies were recovered from above-ground crypts, and only 1 in 10 have been found mummified. Although some mummies were previously embalmed, most of them, according to scientists, were preserved by the utter dryness of the air, which caused bodies to mummify quickly. This famine only occurs in other places in Mexico. In one other place in Mexico, in a small region in the state of Jalasco to the west, the majority of the mummies came from the examination done in the late 19th century. The burial tax ended in 1958, so no new mummies, so no new mummies were unearthed after that time. Soon after the discovery of the mummies, naturally preserved bodies drew attention from the curious. In the late 1800s, people began paying to see the mummies. Were stored somewhat haphazardly in a building near the cemetery. Now considered to be the largest collection of mummies in the Western Hemisphere, the Guanajuato Mummy Museum opened in 1970 to showcase the remains behind glass for all the curiosity seekers to see. The collection has 111 total mummies, mainly them women and children. Most of the mummies have their original clothes. Many children are dressed up as angels or little saints from an easier and for an easier entrance into the afterlife. The museum claims to have the smallest mummy in the world, that of a fetus. There are many legends surrounding why some of these mummies have retorted and twisted faces, including a famous story that people have, were mistakenly buried alive and tried to escape their fate, but died in an attempt. In 2007, a team led by Texas State University, San Marcos 
professor Jerry Mel Melby examined 22 of the mummies in the Gon Hato Mummy Museum collection. The purpose of the study was to increase overall scientific and historical knowledge of the mummies. Things as animation have revealed evidence of such diseases as rheumatoid arthritis, extreme anemia, and tuberculosis, sometimes severe enough to cause death. We also found evidence of smoke inhalation, either from smoking tobacco or from working in the local mines. A number of babies in the museum died at a very early age, possibly from a common bacterial infection. Infants in pre-industrial studies often contract when adults begin to feed them solid food that they have softened by chewing. The mummy museum can engender mixed feelings. There are real people on display and the exhibit is not for the faint of heart. Many people consider the mummy to morbid and skip it on a tool on a tour of the beautiful colonial city of Guanajuato. As is typical in Mexico, at such tourist destinations, one can purchase most anything mummy-related outside the museum, including keychains, mummy replicas, coffee mugs, and barely edible mummy candy. Beyond the museum, the museums of Guanajuato have entered the pop culture psyche of Mexico. first person to write about the mummies, however, may have been the American author Ray Badbury. Oh, dude. Known for his science fiction writing, Bradbury published a book of short stories in 1947 written in the horror genre called The October Country. In that book, is a story called The Next in Line about an American tourist people visiting Guanajuato or Day of the Dead. The wife dies in the story, and this very brief piece examines themes like the fear of death and need to, be to belong. Author Bradbury wrote a story to get the whole experience of the Mummy Museum out of his head. He released the demons that had haunted him after a brief visit to the attraction with his own wife. Below is a quote of the description of the mummies from Bradbury's story. Jaws down, turns out like jeering children. Eyes pale, brown, iris, and unclenched sockets. Hairs waxed and prickled by sunlight, each sharp as quails ambid on her lips. The cheeks, the eyelids, the brows. Little beards on chins and bosoms and loins. Fists like drum heads and manuscripts and crisp bread dough. The little men, huge ill-shaped towel things. Death melted and sang hair of them like nests made and remade. Mommy movies with interesting twists were popular in the United States in the 1930s and 1940s. At the same time, during the golden age of Mexican cinema, an Aztec mummy would pop up here and there, but never the mummies of Guanajuato. The main movie that put the mummies we speak of on the map was the 1971 film called Santa Contra la Mummies de Guanajuato. Tr translated into English, this means Santo against the mummies of Guanajuato. This was followed up a year later with a sequel, Deaths of the Mummies of Guanajuato. The stories of the films Santo were a famous Mexican wrestler of Lucha Libre fame. In the 1960s and 1970s, he and other wrestlers such as El Mil Mascaras and Blue Demon would battle monsters and evil superheroes among them. Dracula, Spider from Hell, the Vampire Women, the Wolfman, and of course, the Mummy of Guanajuato. In the first film about the mummies, 
one of the mummies comes back to life to seek revenge against Santo. Because he was alive, he was a, because when he was alive, he was a wrestler too, and battled one of Santo's ancestors. The now reanimated former wrestler is a seven foot tall Santan, and he gets the help of several other mummies from the museum to go after Santo, killing and terrorizing the townsfolk along the way. Mummies can't be killed with bullets. Santo, however, knows how to kill them because of his family history. Since the early 1970s, there have been a few low-budget knockoffs of the rest of movies, but nothing really has been made about the movies of Guanajuato in the pop culture area arena until very recently. Crossway has a reaction to the popularity of zombie movies in the United States. In 2014, an animated film came out of the Mexican out of Mexico called La Leyenda de las Momias de Guanajuato. Uh, starring children as the protagonist. As with the rest of the movies, in this movie, the mummies come alive and cause havoc amongst the Guanajuato Sinisteria. A few years ago, a children's book came out by, by James Luna called A Mummy in Her Backpack about a girl named Flor and how after visiting Mexico, finds that small mummy come from the Guanajuato Museum hits a ride in her backpack, and now she must deal with it in the United States. As zombie movies continue to be popular in the United States, we can be sure that the Mexicans will answer to this with their own homegrown equivalent. We predict that the last of the fixation of the mummies of Guanajuato has yet to be seen. Ooh, I gotta check those out, man. But uh, so we got talk about one last thing about actual living mummy. Lives in Guanajuato. We'll talk about that right after these messages. Hello, listeners. This week's episode is brought to you by support from Sofin. Based out of Texas, Sofin brings stunning pieces of jewelry to over 20,000 customers and growing for both men and women. Check them out at Sofin.Express and Instagram. Say they wish to give our listeners a deal. By using the code COZYCRYPTIDPOD, you'll save 30% off any item at Sofin. Once again, use the code word COZYCRYPTIDPOD at checkout at Sofin Express. That's S-O-P-H-I-N dot E-X-P-R-E-S-S to save 30% off any item at checkout at Sofin. Alrighty, we are back. We get excited to get some nice for your somebody, your friend, or your mom, or your significant other. Sofin, it's nice. You have some pretty cool uh, bling bling there. Come out. Remember, use the code Cozy Cryptid Pod. Use it get that discount. The Living Mummy, a legend of Guanajuato. This legend tells the story of a man visiting the city of Guanajuato from out of town on a business trip to attend a conference. On the first day of the conference, all the attendees left early as the last speaker did not show up. Because he had extra time on his hands, the out-of-towner decided to visit the Mummy Museum. It was a slow day at the museum that afternoon. The visitor chatted up the ticket taker. The ticket taker told the man that he was lucky because 36 of the mummies had come back from touring the United States four years ago. 
for four years. So now the exhibition at the museum was complete again. A man toward the museum noticed that one of the movies was missing. There was a space in the exhibit when he thought one of them should have been, but wasn't. He didn't think much of it and left the museum for his hotel, which was in walking distance. A few streets away from his hotel, he witnessed a car run over a woman a few feet in front of him. He ran to assist the woman. She was wearing a thick scarf over her head to cover her face and her clothing looked old. When she grabbed the man's hands, chills came over him as he noticed her, that her hand was like that, like those seen in the mummies in the museum. Welcome to Guanajuato, she said, and thank you. He shook his head and closed his eyes to clear his senses. In an instant, she was gone. The man realized that he had a counter with a living mummy that escaped the museum. Ooh, that's, good. that's a good story, dude. So how about that? Everybody has a good episode. We got a light monster. We got mummies. We got underground tunnels and UFOs. Guanajuato. All these cool volcanoes. Things happen around the volcanoes. It was a great episode, right? Tell your friends about it. Share it with everybody. You can uh, find uh, more episodes at CozyCrypto.com or wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. If you want to pick up a t-shirt, Cozy Crypto t-shirt or hoodie, do so by going again to the website CozyCrypto.com and clicking on merch on top of the website. And save 25% off your order with code word cozy at checkout. If there are any questions you'd like me to ask, or you want me on the show, or want me to be on your show, there are forms on there on the website as well. Find me on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And I'm on and I'm gonna be on the Paranormal Sun this week. So check that out as well. Hope you have a great week. And I think next week I'm gonna have Paranormal Sun on. Or uh or I should if like nothing comes up. But hope you have a great weekend and it's Mother's Day as I record this. So say hi to your mama and give her say thank you for raising your stupid ass and stuff. Dealing with your good dishes, okay? Something, I don't know. But thank you for listening to this episode of Ancona Hato on Cozy Cryptid. I've been your host, Tanner, and stay cozy.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.